I apologize for my voice. I think I have the same ragweed problem Governor Perry had last night. Um, I will get through it, though. I'm Scott Braddock. I am uh, an independent journalist here in Texas. ScottBraddock.com is where you can check me out. I appreciate the uh, Texas Tribune for putting this uh, great festival together. Let's get a round of applause for that, for sure. And a round for this great panel. Um, we have uh, Deidre DeLisi, who is uh, the former head of the Texas Transportation Commission. Also, uh, we have Democratic Representative from El Paso, Joe Pickett. We've got uh, from, the, uh, from Big D, from the Can-Do City, we've got uh, Senator John Corona, Republican, and uh, also Mike Heiligenstein, who is with, I'm going to mess it up, the Central Texas Mobility Authority. Am I close? You got it. That's, All right, that, there we we'll go. Take it. A great group, the exact right group to talk about this issue, which is... How do we pay for roads going forward in Texas? Um, can we do that? Let's talk first about the actual numbers. I mean, this is, to put it in perspective, the numbers that we talked about earlier this week um, from the, uh, I think from the 2030 uh, committee that the Transportation Commission, uh, they took a look at everything and it was $314 billion is the hole we're in? Something like that, is that about right? Well, that was a number that the committee came up with um, in order to keep congestion levels where they are now in the next 30 years. Um, you know, it's, it's an estimate, it's, it's, a, it's not an exact science, it's a big number regardless, um, but we have a, a significant challenge before us. Yeah, so, and, and if you like congestion levels the way they are now, that's the number, $314 exactly. billion. Dollars. So yeah, where do we go from here? And we're looking at reports over the last few weeks where uh, we're about to hit the debt limit for roads in Texas, so we've got an issue there. Um, you know, hard to go out and, and take on any more debt. Um, there has been talk of raising the gas tax. There have been, there's been talk of uh, raising the uh, fees for registering your car. All these things out there. Um, you gentlemen who are in the legislature, let me start with you, uh, Mr. Pickett. Um, what do you think of the options that are there? The, none of these sound like they come without pain. Well, they'll, they'll all come with a lot of pain, but part of the problem is except for a few people that are intimately related to transportation, the public doesn't believe there's a crisis. And one of the reasons is we've been borrowing money, but in my community, if I stood up at a neighborhood meeting and said we're about to run out of money, they'd say, all, all due respect, we don't believe you. There's orange cones and barricades going up, so we need to market and do a better job letting the public know, and the legislature, how the dollars work. How do you define crisis? Well, to me, crisis means uh, Right now, we're maxed out on the credit cards. We can't borrow anymore unless we go to the, the public. There's a little bit of capacity in the mobility fund. No one wants to raise the gas tax. I mean, no one. This isn't Democrat, Republican. I don't think anybody wants to raise the gas tax. Um, we talk about it, but even if we did raise the gas tax, we're hanging our hat on something that's still going to be declining. And general revenue, that all-encompassing great mystical money that we all seem real important, two cents out of every dollar that TxDOT gets to spend on transportation comes from general revenue. So to me, the answer is all of the above. I wouldn't be against indexing the gas tax, but if I proposed it, and there's 150 members in the House, uh, a lot of people would like me to get that bill on the floor, and they ask me, Pickett, how many people do you think would vote against it? Close to 160, 170. People <laughs> yeah. would be leaning over the, but there are things that we can do. I, I think it's time that we go back and look at the 20 cents we do collect, and public education, someone's having a discussion on that somewhere. We take a nickel out of the 20 cents and put it into public education. I don't think we should. I think we should keep that nickel right now. Keep that nickel. Let public education fight it out because all the suggestions that people are making, raising registration fees, uh, the uh, moving money from DPS, you're still just supplanting money that's there. You haven't come up with anything new. It's ridiculous that it costs $4 to renew your driver's license for a year. We don't charge it by year, we charge six years at a time, it's $4, $4. We should increase that. The registration fees, thanks to Senator Corona, he actually was trying to make it an easier method. We now have one fee for all automobiles. And he wanted to make it revenue neutral, but the agency made a mistake and we actually made another $400 million mm -hmm. by keeping it all the same. Well, it was an agency mistake. Please, um, no question about it. agency mistake. Come back to some of those specifics, including the gas tax, which, you know, it's, that's always contentious. Um, there was another idea I heard thrown around this morning about um, taking some of the sales tax revenue from the purchase of, of cars and moving that into uh, paying for that roads. creates another so, hole. So, right. Mm -hmm. So what, so what about, uh, in an overall sense, Senator Corona, 
some of those ideas and it just where we need to go with this? Well, I think I think what uh, what uh, Representative Puff, uh, Pickett said is is uh, is correct. Part of it is that there there's a public misunderstanding. Part of it is. Uh, a, uh, a legislative misunderstanding or, or lack of education on the issue, and a big part of it is people just not having the political courage to do what's necessary. These kinds of public policy issues, in my view, should always be the kind of issues that have the backing of the leadership. And if you don't have your top three officials in Texas, your governor, your lieutenant governor, and your, uh, your speaker out there looking down the road at what we need in terms of infrastructure, it, it might be transportation, it might be water, it might be the next issue, but if they're not willing to lead on those issues, my, my 20 plus years in the legislature uh, have taught me that it's very hard to get the legislature to move. Now, when there's strong leadership and there's someone out there explaining to the public what the need is and why we need to do this, great things can happen. And amazing things can happen in a legislative body. People that you never thought would vote no will vote yes when they have just some amount of political cover. But that's a serious issue. You, uh, we talked a minute ago, what constitutes crisis? That yeah. crisis is here. It's not just about the fact that we've got congestion. It's about air quality and it's about economic development. Businesses will not relocate into an area that can't move its people from one point to another efficiently. So when you look at this issue, um, there are billions and billions of future dollars at stake. And one of the things I try to remember, and I consider myself a political conservative, I think most people do in the current climate, but I consider myself a political conservative and yet there's a cost to doing nothing. If you ignore a problem, uh, and in doing so, you, you believe you're sending the message that I didn't raise revenue and I won't raise your taxes, and you let a problem go on to the point that it begins to cost you billions and billions in economic development or other opportunities, well then there was nothing conservative about that decision at all. And I think there's a lot of that type of mismanagement underway today in state government. I'm very outspoken on this issue, yeah. and I, I, I know that that will, um, that will offend some and, and, uh, and probably anger others. But the fact of the matter is, this state needs strong leadership to advocate for these issues. And without it, we will have, I predict, yet another failed legislative session where transportation funding or the need for additional dollars goes unaddressed. Let's see if I'm right or not, come the end of this next legislative session. And we just move the problem down the road for somebody else at some future point to have to deal with it when it's long overdue and when the cost is very real, and I might add the cost is much greater than it would have been to deal with it today. Yeah, the feeling a lot of people have is that the federal government has abdicated its responsibility on this. Um, tell me if you've heard that one before. And you also have the sense that, as you allude to, the state may do the same thing. Kick it down the road. Ha what have do you, been doing it. What we do you see at the it. local level, Mike, when we talk about this idea of a crisis? Well, I, in, in listening to the panel, uh, it strikes me that it very, you know, verifies what I've believed is it is a crisis and felt the most at the local level. Um, we, I think if you look at the opinion polls at the national level, transportation rare, rarely shows up. I mean, it's a two, three, four percent. It's not exciting our congressmen uh, to any great level. And when you see them at the state level, you, again, you run into other issues. You got education, you got welfare, you got Medicare, Medicaid, so many other issues that, that are important also. But once you get to the local level, you start seeing the, they show up on the polls. In Austin, transportation is regularly rated as the number one or two issue that is facing our community. And, and the reason is our public officials here at the local level, from state senator on down, they see the consequences of congestion in our community, both in terms of the social cost, the economic cost is huge. Um, you know, we, we lost a plant to Tennessee in, in uh, Round Rock when Dell moved to Tennessee. They said it, it's primarily because of congestion not being well, addressed. Doesn't it go right to this uh, debate that we've seen play <laughs> out over the last few weeks and at the Republican and Democratic National Conventions, the idea that uh, we built this, you know, or you didn't build that. You know, that whole argument was about infrastructure, right? Who actually creates that? We look here at the state level, and business leaders will tell you without hesitation that if we don't have expanded infrastructure, we've got a big problem, right? Representative? We have, we have a huge problem if we don't, but as the senator was saying, unless there's a commitment from the leadership and the public believes what we're telling them is true. And there are facts. I've been trying for the last several years to do education and try to make it apolitical. When I tell somebody that you're paying 
$3 less a month in gas tax than you did in 1991. They go, what? And you're going to be paying $6 less than you paid in 1991 in a few more years because you're driving a car that gets better gas mileage and you're driving less. And it's a fact. This is one of those PolitiFacts. Someone's going to go check Pickett's numbers. <laughs> and you're paying less I think they're today. here. You're paying <laughs> less today than you did in 1991. And if we can show people and bring them into the discussion and, and get this, again, we need to get the general revenue argument in here. Because all the last couple of sessions about the shortfall and the money, TxDOT has so little general revenue, good and bad. Uh, good in that the reductions don't affect TxDOT. Bad in TxDOT doesn't get any general revenue. So when there is going to be a surplus maybe someday, there isn't any movement to put it into transportation. So TxDOT is living on their own gas tax and federal reimbursements. Mm -hmm. And the feds had to pump in $14.7 billion last year into the highway trust fund because they're down on the gasoline tax and they're not going to raise it. We're not going to raise it. So we are putting it on the local backs of the communities with some other ideas. But yeah. here, here are two things that you could do that could take care of one of the state's largest, most significant challenges and really be able to turn toward other issues. And believe me, we've got a list of them in the state. One is to, uh, is to be able to, to pass at, uh, through the legislature a 10 cent per gallon increase <coughs> on the state motor fuels tax. If we did that, that would provide money for all of our various rural areas in the state to assure that they have money available through TxDOT for at least the years to come, the immediate years to come, to deal with, uh, to deal with their issues and to be able to have enough not only for road construction but to continue to have a sufficient amount for revenue. In addition to that, and at the same time, because 10 cents alone will not solve the entire <coughs> problem by any measure, at the same time you could pass a local option tax. And what that is, in a nutshell, is giving local voters of our largest metropolitan areas the opportunity to select from a menu of items that might be uh, increased in order to meet mobility needs strictly in their community. So local voter participation, an actual local vote for authorization, and the opportunity to pick and choose what items might appear on a ballot for consideration. Yeah. Can we ask and him how many votes in the Senate he think he'd get for it? Oh, it, 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 let me you tell gotta, you. You got to count on that. No, it's <laughs> it's it's tough. I mean, I'm yeah. not I'm not I'm not trying to represent to you all or pretend that this is easily done or even that it can be done. And I, I don't want to lose the point. I apologize for jumping in. Right now, though, people are already saying, "Uh oh, Senator Corona just mentioned a 10 cent gas tax yeah. increase." However, however, if you don't do anything like that, does the public realize that we have 17 billion dollars in debt that's going to cost us 31 billion to pay back? And I see some of my colleagues in this room. You voted to pay $14 billion in debt service for that 17, but you're not willing to look at things like fees and taxes. $31 billion is what's going to cost for that 17. And that's if that's just what we have today. That's not Yeah, right. Well, I mean, about. people are always willing to put off costs, you know, to but other here, people, right? I mean, everybody's against communism until they go to Walmart, yeah. right? I mean, it, my, my question is... But here's the... Here's my, the my, but, my, but my question is this, yeah, and it goes back to your point about both of you talking about leadership. Who's actually making well, the case that that needs to be done? The first thing you have to do, I believe, and I think, it, I think history proves it to be fairly accurate, is you have to have people talking about it and willing to have some courage to talk about it. Um, yes, there will be people that, that remember nothing more than that from today's discussion and helped me tremendously in tomorrow morning's newspaper <laughs> as a result of it. But my, my point is if you don't have people out there talking about it and getting people to at least think about the consequences, then there's no possibility at all. Yeah. But yeah, in the end, you have to have leadership from your highest elected officials. But everybody's job in the legislature is to be a leader on this issue. I don't mean to put this strictly on the backs of those three individuals. They're all good individuals who, who've done good things for this state. But the reality is more needs to be done on transportation. Right. And more Andrew, needs to come from the members. Let me come back to you because um, you mentioned, we may come back to this gas tax a little bit more, but specifically on the local option gas tax, uh, you mentioned to me earlier this week that whenever you look at these local options and it keeps getting you know, sort of more microscopic in the way we're looking at how we pay for transportation, um, doesn't somebody need to be looking at it continually from the standpoint mm -hmm. of are we connecting the whole state? Mm -hmm. I mean that's always been what I preached and my concern about trying to uh, shift the debate to a local option uh, uh, means of generating revenue because let's say you have uh, you know th that the Metroplex chooses to do that or Houston or El Paso and they then use that money to develop their really great local systems which is very important <coughs> But I don't want people then to lose sight of the fact that, and, and, and then thereby undercutting a state revenue base by 
putting a local tax on the gas tax or vehicle registration, whatever it is. And then people say, okay, problem solved, but then we haven't addressed the interconnectivity issues because if, we, if you can't get from Houston to Dallas, then our transportation system is going to suffer. Well, and this is what uh, TxDOT ran into before your tenure there with the whole idea of the Trans-Texas Corridor. We would have, Part of it. you know, we would, <laughs> we would, we would, you know, build it all together and it seemed you know there was a lot of conspiracy theory sort of talk about that mm -hmm. as if we don't already have roads to Mexico but um, the question is um, when you when you look at where we're going to go eventually however we end up paying for it won't we at some point have something that looks like what was talked about under that brand I mean I, I think when you look realistically at the state and let's you know let's talk about the I-35 corridor which is essentially what the Trans-Texas corridor um, boiled down to is that parallel corridor along I-35 through different sources of funding through the stimulus funding, Prop 12, Prop 14, TxDOT has put, has either in place or it's going to have three lanes uh, northbound and southbound along I-35 along existing right-of-way. And so once that construction is complete, um, there will be as, as much buildup the, along the existing footprint of I-35, it's not going to be enough. The, the, in, the, all the studies show that Texas probably needs at least double that capacity along I-35, which is considered the most important stretch of highway in Texas for commerce and mm -hmm. economic development. So, um, so it then will force the debate of, well, what are you going to, what's next? If, we're, if we have to increase that capacity, do we need to go in and look at adding to that existing footprint, which obviously brings in the same uh, intimate domain issues that we're doing. We we're before. doing local option in a, in a sense right now. I, I think TxDOT made a huge mistake when they rolled out the entities that created what Mike does, the regional mobility authorities, and the tolls. I'm not against all tolls. Mm -hmm. And so people can't ever figure, you for or against a toll? Yes? No. Tell me what it is. What's the project? But TxDOT went out and threatened the communities like mine and said, if you don't toll, we're going to cut your funds. This was before we did formula funding. And so you created these entities who were raising money with the idea that you're keeping it local in that community. I can't bond nearly as much money as mm -hmm. Senator can in his area, but we're doing it locally. So we've got a toll project. We have tolls relative to that area. Those are only for those areas. And it should have been a statewide system. And even now, the toll entities in Texas should be paying a, like a franchise fee off the top that goes into the entire state of Texas for the entire trunk system. If they're getting money from TxDOT and we borrowed that money, part of that debt that we talked about, and TxDOT tells me they're trying to work this in, but if Mike has a $80 billion toll project, he gets $80 billion from TxDOT, and part of that was borrowed funds yeah. that all of us are paying, Mike entity needs to pay back the interest on that borrowed money and help get that debt reduced. Mike, your name was mentioned? Uh, oh, <laughs> yes, I, I know. Go ahead. I heard that. Uh, actually, I think there's a, I, I would disagree. <clears throat> on a couple of levels. Number one, I don't. Th I th this region asked TxDOT to create the RMA. TxDOT didn't force it on us. Uh, Williamson and Travis County realizes that there was there are the two of the highest per capita debt counties in the state. We don't have much more freeboard in terms of going into debt. Um, it, it's it's that that's off the table. The tax tax base can't handle anymore. Um, and the money that we get from the department on toll equity grants is money that's going to the MPO anyway. It's going to the local metropolitan planning organization, and that is who we work with to determine what are the priorities for the region. If the MPO would say, hey, we want to spend all that money on non-tolls, mm -hmm. they could do that. But what do they have at the end of the day that's going to help finance the next project? Nothing. The, and, and the other point that we keep missing here is Almost every commodity that we see in, in the utility world is priced for the market. And we love talking about having running our business, running our agencies like businesses, but transportation has not been run as a business because it's been given, perceived to be given back to the user as a free commodity to use whenever you want to, however much you want to, at no cost to yeah. you. We've got to change that. Well, and it, aren't the attitudes about tolls changing? It's always it's the, it's the new thing, right? I mean, Senator Corona here from Dallas, where, and I'm from Houston, where it's old hat for us mm -hmm. to have, you know, to have tolls. But it, you know, in in Austin, I think over the last few years, uh, people have sort of adapted, and you you hear from some people who say, well, I still won't drive on it, but other people are thrilled to go. I, on I was, I, you're right, and I, and we're doing a congestion price uh, project in the middle of Austin, where we now have 175,000 cars a day. Uh, on Loop 1 Mopac, and that is a that is a complicated 
concept to get your arms around in some respects because it's dynamically priced for congestion. It's market-based. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you want to use it at peak hour, then you're going to pay the peak hour rate like you should for water or electricity. See, I don't entirely agree with that. Though. I don't want to cut you off, Mike. I want you to yeah. finish. But, but I, I think that concept, too, takes us down a, 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 a wrong road. And, and have you, Did you finish with your remarks? I, well, I, just, I think what I was going to say is the community has embraced it, and do get it if they if they are promised a performance measure of 50 miles an hour at peak hour, they're in favor. I, I think they embrace it because there isn't an alternative. I think well, if you ask just about anybody in the community, <laughs> would you rather travel on a toll road or a road paid by the general population through uh, the sale of motor fuels, uh, or what we sometimes refer to incorrectly as a free road? They tell you they'd rather be on a free road. I uh, my concern is when you begin down this road of saying, okay. <laughs> Certain assets or certain infrastructure are going to be provided by government. That's going to be a, 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 an amenity for all to, to enjoy. But others over here, we're going to arbitrarily select. You're going to pay for as users. Where does it all stop? Does they come, we tell them that when you call for police backup or you call for uh, 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 the fire department because of a service, we're going to send you a bill for that? And, and imagine what that bill would be if, you had to, if it was handled in that fashion uh, and you had that infrequent occurrence of a fire. Yeah. I think that there are some things, I think there are limited purposes for toll roads, please don't get me wrong, and I am not an opponent of toll roads, but I think when you supplant the general transportation network with toll roads, uh, then ultimately what you're going to have is not a, not a market-based solution, because a market-based solution allows you to choose. Where we are today with no money left for new construction from the gas tax, it means that every road that can conceivably be built as a toll road is going to be a toll road. So the day will shortly come where if you want to go from point A to point B, you're not going to have a choice but to get on a toll road. Well, then suddenly a toll is just another tax. And let's not kid one another. And so this idea that it's all market driven and gosh, in this, in this model, the consumer, uh, they get to pay for it. You know, the user gets to pay for it. Um, I don't think if you really think through the logical sequence and, and consequences of that is necessarily where you want to be. Well, on the, the example that you gave of, of you know, the, the police or fire showing up and giving the bill, you know, that's money from local, right? So that goes to your point about having the local option gas tax uh, elections, which comes right back to your point, which is we need to be thinking about this more from a statewide perspective, right? But she's not wrong there. When, she's, when, when, when Deirdre says that, I agree with her. Mm -hmm. um, all of these other offshoots and transportation models and regional mobility uh, authorities and all of the things that have come about in transportation today came about because years ago, this isn't a new problem, years ago the legislature began to not provide sufficient at the money at the state level for transportation. All of these great ideas that we have today in mobility wouldn't exist at all, but for the fact that they were workarounds because <coughs> the legislature wouldn't do its job. Right. It's just that simple. And, and the regional mobility authorities, and, and, and I voted for that bill, and I'm still not against it. I will tell you I had concerns, and I still do, because this was to set up an entity in between me as an elected official, whether it was state, local, and the consumer, so I didn't have to vote on that toll. Let's create this entity to take all the flag. And they're a great financing tool. And in my community, so far, we've kept them to use their powers for good instead of evil. And we're going to have our first toll in El Paso, but it's going to be a hybrid. We're going to rebuild the lanes that are there now for another 40 years. We're going to put a lane on the inside and give people a choice. And the only one that's been negotiated probably doesn't mean a whole lot except for in substance. If this doesn't make money, I know we don't call it that in, in government, it reverts to a free lane. So they're going to have to at least work on this and make sure that this is something that somebody will use. But why are people asking for local option? It's because the state isn't providing. And we do have more choices. TxDOT didn't like transportation reinvestment zones. The locals pay for that. I've been championing that. My community, we said no to a traditional toll, mm -hmm. but we did a transportation reinvestment zone because there are instances when you build infrastructure, and this is part of TxDOT's overall existence is economic development. If you improve something and a big box comes and you increase your tax base, not your taxes, your tax base, because I've been asked my whole career in politics, what are you doing with all that windfall money you're getting off those new properties that didn't exist last year? Here's a way you put it aside and you build that infrastructure, and for us, it's working. We didn't toll. And we went back to TaxDOT after we negotiated a $17 million loan to kick it. We don't need the $17 million anymore either. But the locals are paying for it. And that's on the books right now. And I imagine if we don't change anything, 
you're going to see dozens of them created over the next couple of years with RMAs. We're working in conjunction with our RMA on that. I, I, since, I, you're in, I, I, since you're in between them and the, you know, the, the folks at the local level, do you feel that flack that he mentioned? Well, you know, we, <laughs> Commissioner Todd's out there. He remembers when we, we formed four transportation districts in Central Texas. Every one went bankrupt because the development did not take place after the infrastructure was in place. Some of the counties had to assume that debt. I mean, they're not a panacea. I, I, I think that the reason RMAs came into, into existence is very clear. It, it was it, The abdication at other levels was forcing the locals to come up with their own solution. And we can go out to the, our local mayors, our local county commissioners, and say, guys, we're not, Textile's going to be able to maintain our facilities over the next 20 years, but they're not going to build new capacity. It's just, it, it, given the current levels of, and that's the big proviso, given the kernel, and I agree that's with right. you, if we can get that increase, that'd be wonderful. But we've been, you know. It's a nickel, it's, by the way. If anybody's wondering, out of the dollar, every dollar that Textile's got to spend, a nickel goes to cash for new construction. Right. And a you nickel. know, that diversion in Texas. A nickel. Is more than well, a lot not of the diversion, not budget. the not the twenty cents, not a nickel off the twenty cents. What I'm saying is, every dollar that Texas has to spend, where they got that dollar and what they're spending it on, only a nickel. Actually, it's five and a half cents, is cash going for new projects, and that's what everybody's chamber of commerce is talking about around the state. And we don't even talk about the big number, which is maintenance. I'm glad Texas has taken the position that we're going to maintain at all costs. And they're yeah. doing an excellent job of maintaining. But we're fighting over a nickel. This whole discussion today, everything that's going to get rolled into what we talked about, ideas and stuff, is talking about increasing a nickel out of a dollar that textile Yeah, gets. when you mentioned the maintenance, you know, you and I talked about uh, the idea that, you know, once you build a road, you are never done paying for it. Right. right. As soon as you open it up, you've got costs associated. It's like owning a home. It's no mm -hmm. difference. Well, as as the former head of the of the transportation commission, <coughs> talk about. I mean, what what is that like dealing with that on a day to day basis? Um, you know, in the ongoing leadership of the organization. Um, you know, when you're looking at those financials and, like you say, it's only a nickel that's going to that would be going toward Cash. anything new. You're spending yeah. more mm -hmm. than that. Mm -hmm. But we're spending more than a nickel on construction, mm -hmm. but most of it is right now borrowed funds. Mm -hmm. uh, we get about $2 billion, uh, and I was kind of wondering why TxDOT's legislative appropriation request, and they had a hearing yesterday, they're anticipating that the uh, highway fund is going to be reduced mm -hmm. by a billion dollars, but they're guesstimating that the federal funds are up $2 billion. I, I, I can't understand where that's coming from. And we are pushing it down the road, Senator, because in their request, they're asking for $3.2 in borrowed money. Well, we were supposedly at our capacity, so that means they didn't get the money out. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have money to kick the can down the road, and you won't see any change this session because we're still going to be no. borrowing money. We're going to have about the same anticipated letting as we did last session because we're just moving it to another period of time. Keep moving it off. I mean, it keeps coming back to this idea that we don't have leadership, as you put it, that outlines what the real problem is. You see any change in, in because obviously there's no change in the people that are in those positions, see any change in the attitudes about this anytime soon? Well, first of all, I would say that I don't entirely agree that the, that the leadership hasn't been pushing the issue. When Governor Perry came into office in 2001, he very clearly and specifically made transportation an issue. Mm -hmm. Nobody had ever made transportation an issue. Now, whether or not you agree with his solutions that he advocated, it's a totally different, that's a totally different Well, discussion. solutions that seem to be different from the kinds of things he talks about now where, you know, we should live within our means. Instead, well, we, no, instead I mean, we start, in, we went from a, you know, a pay-as-you-go system to a system where you have Yeah, he, he advocated, let's move away from pay-as-you-go. And what, what he really brought to the table was this idea of innovative financing, bringing, you know, using debt and, and, other, and other tools to finance transportation because we were so far behind and really put a lot of political capital into an issue that very few voters actually proactively care about yeah. and took a lot of heat over two election cycles for it, right. uh, defended it, stood by it when nobody else would, I mean, when we talk about leadership, I would have, I, I would have been ha happier to see 
more people stand up and defend the emphasis on transportation because it was just so easy to throw stones at the issue and say it's a bad idea, it's a bad idea. But what he recognized when he came into office was if we're going to maintain our economic position as a state, infrastructure is an important part of that. Um, he still believes that, he's still advocating for that. And, and then I think as Senator, I think Senator Corona mentioned, now that it's not just roads to talk about anymore, mm -hmm. we've got to talk about our water infrastructure. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, it's just as critical, well, and, so, is, and it's going to be a lot of the same issues. Is the way that that was handled, though, why maybe there's so little appetite for really pushing it the could issue now? It could very well be. Um, you know, it was, it was a very painful, and, and what, that was, three that, cycles. That, that, that was we, my uh, point that I was trying to make, and it wasn't necessarily with Chairman DeLisi when she was there, but Rick Williamson, who most of us serve with. I mean, you know, if, if the roles had been reversed and I was chairman of... Uh, Texas Commission, he was still in the legislature, he would have been giving me a hard time. I think the way it was rolled out, and instead of trying to embrace the community and say, hey, we want to get you aware of some things that are going on out there, it was just, we rolled out House Bill 3588, all these things that were in it, all these tools in the toolbox, and then they used, they being Texas, used the tools against us in some respects, we're clawing our way back. And the way that I felt we've done it in my community is by taking control of the Metropolitan Planning Organization, because even TxDOT can't do a project without the local approval, and it's a give and take. I want everybody to know what I know. I want to know what everybody else knows. And we get down to it, and so today what I'm going to leave is I'm going to remind everybody, did you learn today that we have a $14 billion debt to pay on 17 that we borrowed? And just start with that instead of talking about the gas tax, because I'm not advocating. If I advocated for the gas tax, I couldn't get past that subject to make some other recommendations because I would just be shut down. So I'm not advocating for an increase in the gas tax. Reduce the debt. Get the nickel back from public education. Use all the tools in the toolbox. TxDOT was telling all the MPOs across the state, we're going to analyze every project as a toll project. That's a mistake. And that nickel keeps coming up. That should be the um, last thing that you do is look at as a toll. But the Try two, anything else besides. The two nickels, Senator, that you mentioned, the 10 cent maybe raising the gas tax, um, when, when you say to people, and as you mentioned, that you know people just don't believe it when you tell them you're actually paying less now because your cars just use less gas. Um, but how, you know, if, if rolling out the Trans-Texas Corridor, the biggest, his, you know, the biggest uh, project in the history of Texas isn't the right way, sort of the ham-fisted way to go about it, as we saw from the public uh, reaction to that, What's the way to roll that out? Because that's the thing that punches people right in their wallet. You know, I think you, you know, for all of us, myself included, uh, it's best to keep things simple and straightforward. And I think that one of the reasons we've gotten away with not dealing with this issue as responsibly as it should have been is because uh, we've, we've, we've uh, sought debt instead of, of uh, actual dollars in the bank to do these projects. I'm not against debt. I'm just against using debt as your really only solution. Because the problem is, yeah, you solve the construction problem and you build the immediate road because you financed it, uh, but eventually you run out of debt capacity and oh, by the way, you still have two decades left during which you have to repay all of that debt. So you're, you're kidding yourself, you're getting some short-term relief and that's good, that's better than no relief at all, mm -hmm. but it's certainly not a permanent solution. And, and that's where we are with transportation funding now. We have borrowed to the hilt. Sounds a little bit like the federal government if you stop and think about the way the federal government deals. <laughs> Uh, with issues. They borrow and borrow and borrow till they can't borrow anymore and then ultimately you borrow so much you can't even take any step forward or create the impression that you're making progress when, when maybe your, your progress is largely debt fueled. You know I want to point out one thing that, that I think is important in the discussion about whether or not a community chooses to advance a road with a toll project. Um, you know and I, there's a great example up in the Metroplex the LBJ project which mm -hmm. is going on the the community could have, have said, you know what, we're just going to amass the money that we need to b build this very expensive, very elaborate prog project and wait a long period of time. But they decided, no, the, the cost to us of waiting to build it is much greater than the cost to us of using some of the innovative financing. It was a toll road uh, developed by mm -hmm. in a, in, under a P3. And so I think... It, it, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to say that they're being completely critical of these tools, um, but I think we're leaving a, criti a, a negative reaction to, a, a negative impression of them, when that I think we need to understand that this is a choice communities make, and it's a very real choice communities have to make of the cost of doing something now versus the cost of doing nothing. Well, it's a cost with a gun to your head. I mean, let's be honest with you. Those community leaders realize that there isn't any leadership coming out of the legislature or Austin, and they realize if they don't take those choices, 
that you're talking about. That's the only choice they're going to have, but let's, period. Let's, so, let's, let, me, let me finish. Sure. Uh -huh. So is that really a choice? I mean, let's be fair about this. And let's also not create the illusion that these are issues that are debated by the public at large, because they're not. These are issues that are handled by a very limited number of public officials who, to their credit, realize that there isn't anything coming out of Austin. If you don't go this way, it's, it's basically right. a deal with what you got. But I don't want to, it should not be assumed or represented for a moment that there's a list of options, pick your options, and they, they reach out and they independently pick that one option. That isn't how it works, and these po folks in this room know that. Let me ask you uh, about who else may be holding a gun to the legislature's head. I mean, after having this last Republican primary where you have a lot, you have more Tea Party members headed to the House, uh, you have a philosophy there that says government is too big, right? And so they want you to cut. They don't want to hear any of this. I mean, when, when it's easy for us to all sit here and say maybe we need a, a, you know, a push by leadership to explain this, Voters, people who actually make decisions no, in the state, to, don't want to hear we that. We need to get them involved to show sure. them where the, all the money goes. I mean, is that because is that a fair be, assessment? I mean, you're the Republican no, on the panel I here. I don't uh, think that is a fair assessment. I've, yeah. I've worked very closely with the Tea Party leaders mm -hmm. in my community, and I will tell you that while yes, they generally are are conservative, and and as am I, they understand the need to take and tackle some problems. I think one part of what's behind the Tea Party movement is a, a cynicism and a frustration because government doesn't work anymore. Government spends when it does very inefficiently. Government looks for short-term solutions rather than long-term solutions. And, and, you know, and, and government doesn't always listen to what the people want as their highest priority. But I have found that the Tea Party members in my community, as long as you're addressing a problem in the most fiscally sound manner possible, in other words, the most conservative manner possible, they don't equate conservatism with doing nothing. And you do believe that's raising the gas tax, at least right now? No, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that's the only way to get there. There are several proposals that were, will come on the table, several different ways of raising, raising revenue. So I, I don't want you to leave with the understanding or the impression that I think that ought to be done and that's the only solution. But what I am telling you is we have to raise some revenue and we ought to be looking at all of the options. But above all, we ought to be going to the public and asking, not telling, but asking the public, what is the option you prefer given the scope of the problem. And I think that most people today want government to work. Uh, they want government to be lean. They want it to be efficient. You're right. They want it to be smaller. Mm -hmm. But they want what they have to work. They don't believe that we need to sit here in Austin, or for that matter in Washington, and let these problems accumulate year after year after year. Because as I said earlier, there is a cost to doing nothing. And when you analyze that cost to doing nothing, in many instances, there's nothing conservative about that approach but at Deidre, all. Deidre mentioned that the, the water infrastructure, for instance. Yeah. There's going to be 150 House members, 31 senators that all come with an agenda, and they have it prioritized. And if someone floats out a gas tax and they're worried about public education, their answer is no without looking into the facts about what's going on. It's not an issue with the public yet, and it definitely isn't with the legislators yet. A lot of them still don't know how the money flows in, well, in that process and I guess itself. So it's a learning. It'll just it'll get curve. sexier when Governor Perry is not able to you know brag about as many businesses coming to Texas right now. I want to uh, just gauge your interest level here as far as how many people want to ask questions of the panel. Show of hands. Um, let's uh, let's open it up for that. We've got the mic sure. here. <clears throat> Let me throw one at several of you. I. I know many of you. I'm Joe Cryer. I ran the San Antonio Chamber for a long time, and Senator Corona, you're exactly right. We never visited with an economic development prospect during most of that time who was not concerned about the congestion on I-35 and what were we going to do about that. On the other hand, Chairman DeLisi, you know better than anyone that before this governor and the late Rick Williamson, uh, I sit on the board right now of SH-130, which is building the last two links of what will be the great 85-mile-an-hour toll road in another month. Before Governor Perry and Rick Williamson, we wouldn't have been able to get $1.2 billion in private equity money, not borrowed from the state of Texas, not taken out of the gas tax, to build that toll road. My, my question after listening to your discussion is, all of you, I think, see the same future I do, which is the state is about to be in a world of hurt if we don't build a lot more highways. What do you see long term as a practical matter, uh, the role of public-private partnerships and private equity in meeting 
a little of that challenge, some of that challenge, a lot of that challenge, or none of that challenge? You want to take that? I'll be glad to start. I think that it has a role, Joe, and, first, and it's good to see you again. I think it has a role, but I think we need to be very cautious. I deal with private equity in my own business, and private equity is very expensive money, very expensive money. And so you, want to, you have to ask yourself as a conservative, is that really the spot government wants to put itself in instead of raising dollar for dollar and doing the task at hand, routing it through private equity because you've got a, too many politicians without the courage to do the right thing? Let me tell you, private money typically expects a three times return on an investment within about a five-year hold. Three times <coughs> in five years. It, only, I mean, it varies by, by deal, granted, but I, you know, when you bring in private equity, and look, I'm a capitalist. I, I probably operate the largest business of anybody in the legislature, so I, 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 mean, I, I make that point just to say I understand finance. But when you make the choice to go out to private equity, as businesses sometimes do, um, you know you're doing it with a cost. But that's not the way government's supposed to operate. Government's supposed to bring in the necessary tax dollars to pay for its obligations and its most critical needs, no more, no less, in the lowest uh, tax rate possible and, and delivered in the most efficient manner possible. Uh, private equity makes, private equi equity is what you do when you just don't have any money. Do we really believe the state of Texas, the people of the state of Texas, really don't have any money? When we're talking about the kind of very, very modest amounts of money we're talking about to deal with this problem. I might add, the solution to the water problem requires on a per capita basis a very small contribution uh, per capita, per person, but we, we don't deal with that one either. We don't deal with it because of the current political climate and the lack of courage to deal with these issues. And again, I'm not a big spender. I, I'm, I'm a conservative businessman from Dallas, but I know this. If you don't deal with it today, you're going to pay that much more tomorrow. And if you decide to deal with it today, you can go out and borrow money. And I'm not against doing that, but there are all sorts of money to go out and borrow. You know, there are bonds you can issue at the state level, probably the least expensive way to get there. And then there's private equity, the single most expensive way to get there. Now, should the state be in partnership with private equity? maybe under some really unique circumstance, but I don't believe so. I think that's irresponsible. And I think that it is, with people that talk about running government as staunch conservatives in the most fiscally, <coughs> fiscally conservative manner possible, well, this is not that. We had a rush on the floor last session during the, the Sunset Bill for TxDOT to include comprehensive development agreements throughout the state by name, because everybody was worried that if they didn't get to the trough, and they misunderstood what the trough is. The trough wasn't state money. The, the trough is the ability to go out and do private equity lending that we don't even get all the money back. And it's not like we're going to get to collect all those tolls either. We lose that into perpetuity. It's not like we couldn't operate it. And the state does operate some tolls. But even the tolls themselves aren't fully financeable. Even in my community, we're seeding it with $78 million. And to date, we don't know, it's going to open the first of the year, but the analysis so far for the first 15 years, we are told it's going to cost us $1 to collect $1. It, it, we don't get the dollar. Someone else gets the dollar. Another entity that's set up to collect that and run the gantries and stuff. So for 15 years, and yes, yeah, so I'm looking down the road, hopefully this will be an investment for the future. We don't even get the money for 15 and I just years. Want to very quickly add to Joe and I both have served previously as the chairman of the Transportation Committee for our respective chambers. So we, we speak with a little bit of authority on this issue. When I served as chairman, and I was chairman for four and a half years, the private equity firms were crawling all over us to do deals in Texas. Yeah. Now, private equity coming out of the woodwork to do deals in Texas. Folks, we all know why they're, they're coming in those <coughs> kinds of droves. They're coming because these deals are darn lucrative darn lucrative. Private equity has all sorts of places to go to look for money, but where do they want to invest? They want to invest in these lucrative toll roads that we think we're so smart about here in Texas. And I mean, it, it's just that obvious. I, well, and, I think I, also that we've got to be realistic about yeah. the numbers we're talking about here. Let's look at the two big projects, the two big mammoth projects, the I-69 corridor and the I-35 corridor. So the I-69 corridor had something like a $7 billion price tag on it. The 35 corridor had a $5 billion price tag on it. There is not enough state revenue out there to support those two corridors. Forget all the other important road projects that are out there that every community wants. So to say, should private equity be the, the only solution? Absolutely not. But is it a big, I, to answer your question, I think it's a big part of the solution. When you talk about 
these needs of having these massive corridors yeah. that we just don't have the tax base or there, there's had, no political will to yeah, raise that kind of money. The, we had the for bondable two. capacity, though. We had but, the but same still, bondable capacity at a fraction of the cost. So you have to ask yourself, what is it that's driving our transportation commissioners, and what is it that's driving our leadership into these private equity deals? Mike, did you want to weigh on? Well, that? I, I, on Joe's comment, that segment, San Antonio, would not have been built. Period. The, uh, the, what we're forgetting, Senator, is you're not. Uh, that is not a lucrative <laughs> segment. <laughs> that is that is a long-term hold, mm -hmm. and the risk transfer, it, it has to be commensurate with the risk transfer. In other words, uh, so they're on the hook for those tolls. If that, those tolls don't make, that private equity firm is in your business, I'm sure, they're going to end up eating that. So in this case, the public sector uh, avoids <coughs> the risk uh, situation on five and six. Virginia DOT, and you guys go to Washington more than I do, for the I-49 corridor, where they're, we're doing the managed lanes now, amazing difference between what the private sector P3 offered up and what VDOT originally had planned. VDOT's plan was a $3.5 billion plan, two lanes. The private sector P3 is four lanes at, at I think, uh, right at $1.8 well, or $9 billion. Well, then we should challenge TxDOT to meet the deal. Well, well meet, meet meet the deal but there's because not, if that section is that money's not there. It, though, but if that's right. not, go, but when I say meet the deal, I, I'm saying meet the deal in what if in the what if because we're told that we're limited by what we can borrow in a state. But we are what I don't know what the 13th, 14th in, in a, an economy in the world, the state of Texas. We don't have the wherewithal where we can't put it together a deal, and you tell us the legislature what you need in legislative changes, what needs to be done for the Constitution, and we need to what encourage to our sell the, the public on. Yeah. Because if this segment isn't going to be popular, make a lot of money, why are we doing it? Is P3? It should let me, be really popular. Let me right? jump in here. It, by the way, if you're keeping score at home, P3 is public-private partnership. <laughs> um, I love all these, <laughs> but um, we got an acronym for everything. Um, it is uh, this is one of the questions I got at my website when uh, when I said that I was going to be doing this panel. Uh, somebody said to me, "Is is is a public-private partnership the only way to get the private sector more involved in this?" Because mm -hmm. this person uh, was saying, and they're very frustrated. They said every solution that's put out there is is something that's supposed to be borne by individuals. It's for my car registrations, for my gas tax, it's for, uh, you know, it's for uh, the, maybe the sales tax on, on my car. It's me that has to pay for it. Uh, every time we're trying to lure business to Texas, you know, we give them tax and, and, and we're not the only one who does this, of course, but we give tax breaks because they'll bring jobs. Um, but given that, is there any way to get the private sector more involved in doing this, in, in building more infrastructure? The only way to, one, one of the key ways is it's the transaction, the number of transactions around the country have to create a critical mass to our pension funds and insurance companies and so forth. Those are our dollars. I mean, that's, it's not magic money. It's not mysterious. It's, it's our money in pension funds. It's a great idea. Why yeah. won't, you know, TRS, TCRS, we run up and say no. you know, they should be investing. We would hope that they would invest in some of these projects because it meets that, that piece of the pile in their portfolio of investments that they need. But the bad PR, the bad PR that's been out there is keeping us in Texas and this. We had members run up on that same bill mm -hmm. in the session last time saying, oh, we can't use yeah. ERS, TRS, no, no, no. Well, we don't want me, the risk. I, may, I'm, I think I may be in disagreement with both of what you. About the that? last thing you want to do is you want to have your own state borrowing from its own pension funds. There would be abuse to that like you can never imagine. I can just see the call now from somebody in the governor's office saying to the pension funds, you will do this deal. Oh. Yeah, the numbers aren't quite what you want, but you will do this deal. That is, that's Now, if we want to use another state's pension fund and perhaps another state's pension fund that's wants to okay. do our road deals well then at least you don't have the political collusion involved but you would never have the same state do the same deals absolutely violates any kind of code of ethics in any private sector business transaction and yet nowhere but Austin would we propose something like that <laughs> did you want to jump in on that Deidre I, I mean I think this you know TxDOT gets a, and I have to say this and I proudly cool. served a TxDOT gets a bum rap I mean it's it's very you know, TxDOT forces us to do this, and this is they're, they're, it's too expensive or whatever it is. But you know, when we talk about going back to Joe's question about the role of private equity, I say it's a big part, important part of the solution because when I'm at the commission and, and I'm, I'm and, and it's not like I just have the choice of how am I going to fund this one road mm -hmm. of new construction. I have to choose between the value of that new road versus the value of maintenance versus the value of 
other, you know, rail or other transportation solutions out there. And so it's not like perfect decisions in a vacuum. Well, let's, get, in, let's get and this so, on. And so, by the way, let's get this on the record, though. Yeah. TxDOT was at one time one of the most respected of all state agencies. And you need to remember that. It was highly regarded. It wasn't until some decade or so ago that it became politicized. It was about that time that this governor's close personal friend became the, uh, and unqualified for the job in my opinion, but became the commissioner of TxDOT. Everything went to hell at that point. Yeah. All of you that know, know exactly what happened. Now, who comes along after that? Well, Deirdre, I think you're a very intelligent person and I think you worked very hard as commissioner. But you are Governor Perry's right-hand political assistant and who does he pluck to make the chairman of the Transportation Commission a, a hugely important role? He puts a political person in there. Who's in there right now, even today? Phil Wilson, the governor's political person. The governor chose to take over that powerful agency by politicizing it and putting all of his political, I think I've called them cronies in the past, so I might as well say it again, in there instead of people that were qualified as we had for decades to run those agencies. <coughs> and you didn't have the political problems in TxDOT back when qualified state leaders, people from typically the private sector, were appointed to come in there and not do the governor's bidding. They were in there to do the right thing, period. Do the right, you're, you are an accomplished business individual. You've shown the state your success and your fairness. We want to appoint you to this important commission and now you come and do your best thing. Well, all that went away just over a decade ago. And ever since then, TxDOT, so, it, ever since then, TxDOT has had difficulty in delivering because it has no credibility whatsoever with the legislature. Okay, well, so, would, so, you, so this is a crony here to my right? Apparently. Well, no, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. Is no, that I, right? I think, she's, well, I think she's an intelligent individual. But yes, do I think, is she a political crony? Yeah, she's a political crony. Okay, well, then I'm the worst moderator ever if I don't let you answer that. I appreciate that. All right. <laughs> I think TxDOT's track record speaks for itself. When you look at the national rank rankings of the, Texas, the transportation infrastructure in this country, TxDOT ranks number one. One of the reasons why Texas is ranked by CNBC as having the best economy in this country is because of our infrastructure system. I, when I, during my tenure, we had people from all over this, this country coming to TxDOT, to Texas, to TxDOT, to figure out how we were doing it because they were they're emulating the model that we have put into place in Texas. It is working. We are building roads. We are building infrastructure in Texas. As much as we need, no. I would never say we're building as much as we need. But we are building more than every, anybody else is because we have been aggressive and we have come up with alternative solutions. I don't see any, I mean, unless I'm missing something, it's not like there are other states that are out there that are rushing to raise their gas tax or rushing to raise their traditional sources of revenue. It is a problem across the entire country. It's not a problem that's just in Texas. But in Texas, we actually came up with some other solutions and we're, and we're reaping the benefits. Our, our citizens are reaping the benefits. We're seeing jobs coming to Texas and one of the reasons is because of our transportation infrastructure and I'm proud of that. All right, anybody who says road funding is boring was not at this point. <laughs> <laughs> thank all of you for coming out uh, for this and thank all of you for coming as well. I gotta go get on some Texas roads. Yeah. Good to see you again. Yeah. And enjoy the rest of the festival. <laughs>